the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed it is. And a great morning to you. Thanks for joining us at seven minutes after the hour of nine o'clock on this Thursday, the 27th morning of the second month of the year of our Lord 2020. We are loaded today, jam-packed with outstanding guests. Coming up, I cannot wait to talk to Yuri Maltsev. Yuri Maltsev is a former senior member of the Soviet Union's economics team. The one that worked on Gorbachev's reforms uh, of uh, perestroika. He defected to the United States in 1989, got himself a Ph.D. in labor economics before he left, though, at the Institute of Labor Research in Moscow. He is now the professor of economics at Carthage College in uh, Kenosha, Wisconsin. And he is here to sound the alarm on the prospects of socialist principles being introduced into a capitalist economy. He is here to sound the alarm on socialized medicine in particular. He is an economics professor. He knows of what he speaks. He has seen it under socialism and communism when he lived and studied in Russia, where he was born, and he is now again, uh, and has been in the United States since 1989, and he is ready to make sure the world knows, and particularly this country knows, what we are asking for if we even begin to allow socialism to take root in any form in the United States. So I am so looking forward to Yuri Maltsev, Professor Yuri Maltsev, coming up at uh, 935. You do not want to miss that. Uh, tell friends, by the way. This is, you know, it's one thing to hear from American economists. It's one thing to hear from, you know, perhaps conservative American economists. 
and free market uh, uh, principled people who have never experienced anything else. That's kind of me, right? And I'm not an economist, but I mean, you know, I've only I, I only know how great America is because it's all I've ever seen, and I know and I see people rising from poverty into the middle class, and from the middle class into the upper middle class, and from the upper middle class sometimes into wealth because of the opportunities present in a free market capitalist society, and it can't get better than this. And you look around the world from our point of view, and you can kind of see that, but it's entirely different from somebody who has lived it and experienced it. And that's what Yuri Maltsev is going to be, is going to uh, talk about. He experienced it in the Soviet side or on the Soviet side. Now, of course, an American and continuing to preach capitalist principles. Uh, also coming up this morning at 1010, our regular Thursday visit with Dr. Everett Piper, who's got a host of things that he is going to discuss with us, including an Ohio bill. You know, we often talk about the role that faith plays in uh, some of our culture and some of our society, and we often talk about issues uh, involving morality and also in vis- uh, of issues involving uh, religious rights and religious liberties and how sometimes these things are encroached upon by those in the LGBTQ community, sometimes known as the Rainbow Mafia, which tries to uh, uh, infiltrate, if you will, um, traditional religious norms and now traditional scientific norms. And he's going to be very interested to talk about the Ohio bill, which we just got word of yesterday, announced actually on Tuesday, but it hit uh, a lot of the news cycle for me anyway yesterday, that would prohibit transgender females, in other words, boys, from playing on girls and women's sports teams. The bill formally introduced just yesterday. It was announced Tuesday, but it introduced yesterday. is called the Save Women's Sports Act. And it would apply to public and private schools that are part of the OHSAA as well as college sports. Outstanding. We are endeavoring to get a uh, one of the bill's sponsors, Jenna Powell from Dark County, Reggie Stoltzfus from uh, Paris Township in Stark County. Uh, they are the bill's sponsors. We're going to try to get them on the air to talk about this. But Piper, Dr. Everett Piper, will talk about that today. What a great, great uh, a day that is to see somebody rising up to protect women and women's sports from this uh, this, this ridiculous trend. Uh, and then coming up also today at 1035, we'll talk to Joel Gilbert again. It's been a while. Did you know that yesterday was the eighth anniversary of the death of Trayvon Martin down there in Florida? And, of course, that had a whole lot of people once again revisiting the case in which George Zimmerman, in an act of self-defense, shot and killed Trayvon Martin, who was on top of him, pounding him uh, into, uh, Lord only knows, unconsciousness, if he had been able to continue. Uh, at any rate, we know what that did to the country. We know what the division is, and we know the racial aspects of it. And uh, it's a pretty interesting time to talk to Joel Gilbert, who wrote a book about the Trayvon hoax and how the witness fraud that divided America uh, went unnoticed or at least unresponded uh, to by the uh, justice system in the Trayvon, May- or excuse me, in the George Zimmerman murder trial. And uh, adding to that story and the fact that, again, yesterday was the anniversary, is the fact that a new lawsuit has been filed by George Zimmerman against two presidential candidates who made statements about Trayvon Martin's death on Twitter uh, in the last couple of weeks, who made statements, again, calling George Zimmerman a murderer. George Zimmerman, again, was acquitted of that, and he has now filed uh, defamation of character and slant, or I'm sorry, I think libel, since it was print- printed, uh, suits against two presidential candidates. 
So we're going to talk to Joel Gilbert, the author of The Trayvon Hoax, about all of the above. So I told you we're loaded today. But we're going to start with the coronavirus. I have not spent a lot of time on this program in recent days or weeks talking about the spread of the coronavirus, largely because it had been limited to foreign countries and sometimes cruise ships that had traveled to foreign countries and they had been quarantining, quarantining and keeping some of these ships out to sea before it was safe enough for, for them to uh, port or to dock at a port. Um, and We'd kind of just been wondering and waiting, when is it coming to the United States and under what circumstances? And now that we found out it is here, we better pay attention. And by it being here, I'm talking, of course, about the case in Sacramento in which the first uh, recorded case of coronavirus of an American who had not traveled abroad, who had not been anywhere uh, at least according to reports, at least no known travel to any of these potentially high uh, danger zones, if you will. Uh, this individual in Sacramento has remained in the United States and somehow contracted the virus, which means uh, we have to be obviously on alert. And, of course, the President of the United States yesterday spoke about what uh, the United States has done when this first became news back when uh, uh, in the uh, uh, Chinese province in which it was originated, uh, what steps we have taken and what steps we are taking. This is the President yesterday in a special press conference on the coronavirus. We have, through some very good early decisions, decisions that were actually ridiculed at the beginning, we closed up our borders to flights coming in from certain areas. Uh, areas that were hit by the coronavirus and hit pretty hard and we did it very early a lot of people thought we shouldn't have done it that early and we did and it turned out to be a very good thing and the number one priority from our standpoint is the health and safety of the American people and that's the way I viewed it when I made that decision because of all we've done the risk to the American people remains very low. And that is extraordinarily important to understand, especially considering the politicization of the coronavirus that is being done by the Democrats who are just waiting for something to hit Trump with. Um, Vice President Mike Pence is going to be um, supervising, if you will, and coordinating all of the efforts to contain, quarantine, and stop the spread of the virus in the United States, working with, of course, the CDC and other uh, and our Department of Health and Human Services, and also to treat and continue to work toward developing a vaccine or a treatment of the coronavirus. This is the Vice President. President Trump's made clear from the first days of this administration we have no higher priority than the safety, security, health, and well-being of the American people. And from the first word of an outbreak of the coronavirus, the president took unprecedented steps to protect uh, the American people from the spread of this disease. He recounted those briefly, but uh, the establishment of travel restrictions, uh, aggressive quarantine effort of Americans that are returning, the declaration of a public health emergency and establishing uh, the White House Corona Task Force are all reflective of the urgency that the president has brought to a whole of government. Everything that the vice president just said is 100% accurate, but that did not stop the demon rats from doing what demon rats do. And that is trying to politicize everything that they can in order to take shots at and score points off of Donald Trump. Here's the Speaker of the House. Let go a couple of years ago, never replace them. This is shameful. I've put forth a proposal now that is meager, anemic, 
in terms of addressing as well. Uh, the, with Ebola, we did five billion. Now they're trying to take the Ebola money and spend it here. So what, what he's doing is late, too late, anemic. What he is doing, says Nancy Pelosi, is late, it's too late, and it's anemic, and that we can't make up for the loss of time. Wow. Really? We literally just had the first case of uh, coronavirus in the United States confirmed. The president instituted travel bans and moratoriums anyway from uh, danger zones, areas of high infection uh, around the world immediately, much like, by the way, neighboring countries in Asia uh, and in Eastern Europe did with China. They all, many of them closed their borders and said, nobody's coming in here from China. We did the same thing, even though we're halfway around the world from China, uh, which is exactly what the president should have done. But the Democrats are saying that Trump hasn't done enough. Trump hasn't done enough. This is called, friends, desperation. The Russia investigation was desperation. The Ukrainian impeachment was desperation. And now it's he's still winning. His approval rating is, that it's the, is the highest it's ever been. His approval rating is higher than Barack Obama's approval rating was in the first uh, couple of months of his reelection year. How can this be happening? Trump is continuing to win, and our slate of ridiculous candidates looked like children on the debate stage a couple of nights ago. We can't beat him. We need to find something else. Let's blame him for coronavirus. That that's I just gave you as if I was listening in on the DNC strategy sessions. I just gave you exactly what they are saying. And that's why Steve Scalise pointed out that the Democrats literally live for this. Well, Sean, you know, you saw Chuck Schumer and others. They literally wake up every day saying, what can we blame President Trump for? And if the sun rises and it's raining, they'll blame him for the rain. If the rain helps some people, then they'll say it shouldn't rain. I mean, look, the president has been very keenly focused on addressing this crisis, recognizing how serious it is. The fact that tonight he put Vice President Pence in charge of this shows you that he wants the highest levels of government directly involved in doing everything we can to protect American citizens. That's what President Trump said. That's what his focus has been. It's also what President Vice President Pence's focus has been on. And look, I've been in briefings for weeks and weeks on this issue. A week and a half ago, uh, I was in a briefing at the White House with the top health officials of President Trump's administration who are aware of every aspect of this. They've been There's no question about it. They have absolutely top prioritized this, highest priority level, but the Democrats are going to complain no matter what he does. If an American dies of coronavirus, you better believe they're going to claim the blood is on Donald Trump's hands. As if somehow he is supposed to be able to cure it himself and find a way to, uh, to vaccinate people from it and find a way other than travel moratoriums and bans uh, to stop people who from coming from uh, high infection zones from getting into the United States as if there is something else he could do. As Steve Scalise just said, if the sun rises, it's Trump's fault. If the sun goes down, it's Trump's fault. If it rains, it's Trump's fault. If there isn't enough rain, it's Trump's fault. I have taken that to another level three years ago, and I'll say it again. If, the, if President Trump came out and gave a public speech in favor of oxygen, Democrats would hold their breath. We're not breathing that Trump oxygen. No, we disagree. We don't like oxygen. <gasps> and they'll hold their breaths until they turn deeper blue than they already are. 
This is some of the most shameful, however, politicization of, of a policy or of a situation that I have ever seen. People's lives are at stake around the world. Hundreds of thousands of people, likely in a pandemic, are going to become infected. A certain percentage of those are going to be lethal. And rather than trying to pull together and saying, what can we do together? Rather than Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer holding a press conference and saying, Mr. President, we are here. We are with you. Let's unite forces and let's see what we can do to stop this. They are trying to score political points. And why? Because in nine months, Donald Trump is going to be reelected. And they know it. It's 922. Back after this. Nine twenty six. We continue on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. Yeah, uh, I don't know how much fever actually plays in this. How much roll fever? I get the I get the uh, uh, <laughs> uh, the point there. I don't know that fever. I was listening to um, one of the experts, uh, physicians on uh, on the air yesterday and a little bit again this morning, talking about what the conditions are. This is much more respiratory. This is much more coughing. Much more shortness of breath. Those are the primary symptoms. Fevers, not necessarily a big part of that right now but again there are a lot of different uh, there is a lot of different information coming out about coronavirus um but you know again the president and the vice president and the cdc and health and human services and everybody that is supposed to be on this is all over this democrats are going to say it's not enough no matter what happens i mean seriously i, I i'm waiting for the, this if he gets reelected and i believe he will and i believe he'll do so handily because i think the democrats are about to nom- nominate a communist um if he gets reelected, there will be a time before he die, or excuse me, before he leaves office uh, after his second term, that they will blame uh, Donald Trump for cancer. They they will literally say it should have been eradicated by right now. Cancer should have been wiped out by now, but Donald Trump didn't devote enough resources to it. Never mind the fact that it's been around forever. Uh, never mind the fact that cancer research has been ongoing. They'll find a way. You think I'm joking? Dr. Piper would probably file this in his file of things that you said would never happen, but that happen. Things that are just a bridge too far, things that are beyond the pale, never happen, and then they happen. This is one of them. By the time he's out, after eight years in office, they will blame him for not curing cancer. Uh, Kate is in Vermillion on AM 1420, The Answer. Hi, Kate. Go right ahead. Hi, Bob. Thanks for taking my call. Listen, I want to, you know, usually my hunches really pay off. Even when it was with Trump signing up and originally to take this on and run for president, and I called in and said, yeah, I am a Trump supporter. But what I want to talk about now is I watched, I pay for Internet news, and I watched a program, and it had a lot of Project Veritas, which has been on other television networks, uh, exposing some of the people involved with the campaign of Bernie Sanders. And I, last week... When I heard uh, originally that Nevada's, they have the powerful culinary union uh, of 60,000 people, and they said they, they couldn't support Bernie Sanders because of their medical, his Medicare for All plan. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, two days later, the day uh, when people were going to the polls, they caved. And I, and I really thought, what's going on here? That's pretty big that that union would cave. And what happened according to what this program is, is that, and it was also in other news um, stating this is a fact, what happened was, is the culinary union representatives 
were getting threatening emails, over 300, and over 1,000 tweets. And it's and they're basically, this is your chance to fix your mistake before the millions and millions of Bernie Sanders supporters will find you and end your ability to earn a living. Yeah. We will, we will find the, the Bernie brothers. First of that, you can be sure and make sure that you wallow in poverty. And then they send out another email. Apologize and fix your mistake or else you will pay. I know tens of thousands of Bernie supporters and we will come after you fascist imbeciles. People need to be scared of this man. His campaign supporters, these are all radicals. And Project Veritas has them, of course, on camera on top of it speaking. But no. Nope. Kate, Kate, you're 100% right. You're 100% right. i got to go, though, because I've got a guest coming up here. I've got to get out for the news. But you're exactly right. Bernie Sanders and his radicals are very dangerous. And we'll talk more about that as we go this morning. But for now, it's news time. We're going to talk to Yuri Maltsev, professor of economics in Wisconsin, but whose history goes back to Moscow. He will join us to talk about the true dangers of socialized medicine and socialism in general visiting itself upon the United States. He's next on AM 1420, The Answer. Very much looking forward to that event. That is going to be an outstanding one. If you can get your tickets, uh, if you have not yet gotten your tickets, rather uh, get them. I would love to see you there. All right, before I bring on my guest, Yuri Maltsev, I want to give you a little bit of a taste of uh, who he is and why he is joining us this Medicine morning. Medicine is number one target for socialists of all kinds because I think that even they do understand the wisdom of John Locke. Locke, in the 17th century, he made the point of self-ownership. Who owns you, he would ask. Who owns you? Do you own yourself? And if you do own yourself, you're a free man. If you don't own yourself, you're a slave. And that's exactly what medicine, socialized medicine, is doing. It's turning everybody into slavery, into public slavery. Socialism is nothing but public slavery. And that's why it is the most deadly disease which ever was experienced by humankind. Socialized medicine is nothing but public slavery. Yuri Maltsev, Professor Yuri Maltsev, Dr. Yuri Maltsev, earned a BA and an MA uh, from Moscow State University, a PhD in labor economics at the Institute of Labor Research in Moscow, Russia. He d- uh, defected to the United States in 1989. He is now a professor of economics at Carthage College in Wisconsin, and he joins us now to sound the alarm about what socialism really means and the horrors it would be visiting upon the United States if we were to adopt it. Uh, professor, very good to talk to you, sir. Thank you for the time. How are you? <clears throat> well, I'm doing well, and thank you for inviting me. It is a pleasure. Um, you know, it's it's rare to get an opportunity to speak with an economics expert like yourself who has seen up close and personal what socialized medicine looks like, what socialism in general in an economy looks like, rather than seeing it from a distance. You know, we sit here in the safety and comfort of the capitalist free market United States, and we look at Venezuela, and we look at communist Cuba, and we look at the Soviet Union, and now Russia, and we can try to get an idea, but you've been there, you have seen it up close and personal, and that's why your perspective is so important. uh, Dr. Maltsev, tell me what you think of when you hear Bernie Sanders, a self-avowed socialist and a longtime communist sympathizer, promising socialized medicine in the United States. Well, he looks uh, exactly like an unreformed Stalinist. 
And, uh, and he really scares me. I mean, that, that so many people are willing to vote for that kind of clown. This is really sad because I am too old to defect again. And, uh, and definitely <laughs> he is trying to destroy this country. And that's what they do. I mean, this socialism never worked and will never work again. And, <clears throat> but that's the, what the Russians would say that the only lesson of history is that it does not teach us anything. That's that's a very great point. Um, and, and, and to call him an un, or to say he looks like an unreformed Stalinist, I, I think that's very well said. What what is what does a reformed Stalinist look like? <laughs> reformed Stalinist sounds like reformed Nazi or reformed fascist or reformed. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's not much of the reform. I mean, he is all the time like a parrot. He is uh, repeating on and on that he is a, a democratic socialist. And democracy is it's an oxymoron. There is, you're either non-democratic or you're not a socialist. So there is no such a combination. Because what, and Marx understood that, and Lenin understood that, that if you want to take, to steal everybody's property, if you want to turn free men into slaves, that people would fight back. And that's not a democracy. That means that you need to kill. And that's how they were killing people tens of millions in the 20th century in Russia and Soviet Union alone, anywhere from 43 to 61 million people were murdered or starved to death or frozen to death in Siberia. So this, this, is, a, this is a record, and, and he doesn't have anything else to offer. Dr. Maltsev, um I want to talk a little bit more about his his labeling of democratic socialism. I think you're right. It is an oxymoron. I think it is simply a label that he uses for the purposes of politics to make it look and sound a little bit more palatable. He's trying to convince uh, a voting public that you can be a little bit pregnant, that you can be a little bit socialist, but also a little bit capitalist. Um, that, that doesn't exist. Um, can you explain for people who don't understand the difference between socialism and communism. You reference Lenin, of course. Lenin of, uh, is, is well known for saying that the goal of socialism is communism. Can you explain the difference between socialism and communism, removing his label of, quote, democratic? Yes. And uh, Mr. Sanders, he is all a comrade Sanders, I would call him, uh, that he all the time is pointing at Denmark or Sweden as socialist countries, which they are not. And the reason is because Marx he defines socialism as abolition of private property. So you don't have private property. You don't have even property in yourself. The government is telling you what to do, and the government owns you. So that's what socialism is. Communism is an idea. It's a kind of like a carrot. It's, it's a carrot which never was practiced. There was no communism in the world. Uh, because what communism would be, that would be withering away of the state. So there will be no state. Why? Because you don't need to govern people. People will be such angels that they will self-govern themselves. Then the money would wither away. People, there will be no money <clears throat> in that kind of society. And people would work as hard as they possibly can and consume as little as they possibly can. And this is a kind of a communist utopia. Even Friedrich Engels, the best body of Karl Marx, he asked him when does he think this communism would, would come. 
And Marx said four or five hundred years from now. So we still are on the waiting list for two or three hundred years. So, so communism, communism is, is this, this wonderful kind of utopia, which, is, which I think was invented by Marx to lure people into believing that that's what we're getting to. But socialism, which they practice, socialism is also abolition of private property, and it's public slavery. It's public slavery where the, and as disgusting as private slavery is, but it was not as deadly as, as public slavery, because slaves in, <clears throat> by the government are considered not only an asset, but a liability as well. So they would, speaking about, about socialized health care, um, say Hitler, he was just killing people who were unfit or infirm or whatever, or had mental diseases. <clears throat> in the Soviet Union, they would just not admit that publicly. They were killing people by denying them health care. And then if you are over 60, because over 60 you can retire, and you'll be considered a social parasite. And they would just deny you health care. I mean, they will give you maybe aspirin or things like that, and they will treat you. <clears throat> kind of nicely uh, in a, in verbal way, but they would they would never perform expensive surgeries on you or things like that. We are talking with Dr. Yuri Maltsev. He is an economics professor at Carthage College in Wisconsin, and if you cannot tell by his accent, he is a, uh, a Soviet uh, or a, a Russian, I should say, by birth. He defected to the United States in 1989. He has seen um, the economies of, of socialist nations up close and personal experience them. Doctor, I, I, I want to go back to what you started to say about Sweden and and uh, you know Denmark, Finland, etc. The, the the Nordic or Scandinavian countries, because what we hear from people who hear us condemning the conditions in Venezuela, for example, is they say, "Why are you focusing only on Venezuela, where socialism has led to rampant starvation and disease and 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 lack of basic human rights and human needs, etc.? Why are you focusing there? Why don't you focus on the socialized countries in the Nor- the Nordic countries or Scandinavian countries?" And I've I've often said that's because these are not true socialist nations. You referred to that briefly. Can you go further on that? Uh, <clears throat> yes, of course. It's it's obvious that Venezuela, Cuba, say Vietnam, um, these are Laos. These are socialist countries where there's no private property, where people are, do not own themselves. The government owns them. These are typical socialist countries. When you talk about Denmark or Sweden or Norway or Finland, they are not socialist countries. Period, because they have a regime of private property. These are market economies. Um, and, when, and when Mr. Sanders, he said that, that Denmark is the best example of a socialist country, then Jan Rasmussen, the prime minister of Denmark, next day he was on TV saying, don't badmouth Denmark. We are not a socialist country. We are a free market democracy. And that's exactly what they are. And the only thing that they... What, the, what our socialists are pointing at them uh, as a kind of like as a proof that socialism works is that they have a full-blown welfare state. Uh, they have, uh, they, however, having said that, some of them, like Sweden right now, is more free than the United States. They have public choice available to everyone. Everyone can put his <coughs> or her children 
in the school of their choice. And it can be any kind of school. It can be a Lutheran school, Catholic school, Muslim, Jewish school, whatever school of their preferences. So this, this is one thing. Another thing that they are trying right now to privatize their medical systems. In, in Sweden already, they privatize the pharmacies. And that's kind of a, a big step forward. And people uh, are tired of, of, of paying these huge taxes of about 50, 60 percent. Uh, so this, this are, they are not socialists. They, they, they would be very upset if you call them socialists. That is a fascinating point. I did not know that, that Sweden was in the process of privatizing their health care and their prescriptions, their drugs, etc. Meanwhile, here we are in the, in the greatest uh, economy, uh, free market capitalist economy in the history of human civilization, trying to do the opposite. Uh, Barack Obama for eight years tried to do just the opposite, taking it from private medicine to public medicine. Uh, and now, of course, with the promises made by so many of the Democratic candidates, especially Bernie Sanders, Sanders to to eliminate all private health care. Um, wh- what does that say about us? What does that say about the fact that this man is popular here in the United States when you see nations like Sweden going in the exact opposite direction? I'm sorry to say that. Maybe that's a pretty kind of uh, <clears throat> uh, critical assessment of where we are. But I'm afraid that, that the people who on, uh, are on the side of liberty, on the side of freedom, are losing the battle with our educational system. Educational system, it raises people who are applauding and, and voting for people like Bernie Sanders, which, who, you say, in the Soviet Union or, or anywhere else, would, would, would not be even listened to because they already went through this. And, uh, and, through the so- and what he is doing, he is showing social envy left and right all the time that we are in the process of some kind of class warfare, that, that we need to eliminate um, billionaires or whomever else. And this is, this, is, uh, this is the most ridiculous thing. However, socialists, that's the only claim for them for power uh, is social envy, that somebody else is doing better than you. And this is, this is not an American way at all. The people would uh, praise people who, who are successful. Not anymore. Now in schools, in universities, they teach that the rich people are bad for some reason, that, that's, that, that it's kind of like a zero-sum game, that, that they're rich because some other people are poor, and the poor people are poor because they're rich, which is not true in economic sense. Dr. Maltsev, just two more questions. Uh, number one, I want to go back to the issue of killing and about um, uh, you know sl- enslaving the people and essentially killing the people. You're right. I think a lot of people have pointed out that socialism uh, is responsible for well over 100 million deaths in, in the last century. Um, President Reagan, about 26 years before he became president, gave a speech when he was working on the Goldwater campaign, and he said that, and I'm paraphrasing, governments cannot control economies. Governments can only control people. And when the government sets out to control people, they do so by force and coercion, the kind of force that we're talking about that leads to the deaths of millions. Is that, is, is that an apt thing to bring up in 2020? I feel like in 1964 when he said that, he was looking into a crystal ball because this is what we're on the verge of adopting. Absolutely. I mean, he was, he was absolutely right. 
uh, on the money in 1964, and this is, this is the truth today. And the reason they kill, the reason they coerce, the reason that all socialist regimes would be uh, would be uh, despotic and would be dangerous and murderous is that socialism does not have any incentive. I mean, in in the market economy, you are working to get a better home, to get a better car, to 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 better your family, to to do whatever you like to do. That's what Adam Smith was telling us. Under socialism. The, the, the kind of the, the, uh, because of the quality of results, there is no incentive to do anything. <laughs> and the only way the government can, can, can rule is by, by threatening people with death, threatening them with violence, with coercion, sending them to Siberia or any other place. That's the reason that socialism is so deadly. Dr. Maltsev, last question. This does not have to do with socialism per se, but since I have a professor of economics on the air, I figured I should use this. It's timely. Uh, you're seeing our stock market uh, uh, crumble. Well, I shouldn't say crumble, but it has taken huge hits in the last few days. People are very concerned about the effect of the worldwide coronavirus on the American economy. Can you just give us a, a, a snapshot of what you think is going to happen to the American economy as a result of this worldwide potential? Potential pandemic. I would think that this pandemic thing is used and abused by the by the socialists uh, who right now are in Democratic Party to scare people to to do all this because usually if it's election year, then the then the best thing to deal with incumbent and the President Trump and his administration is to scare people about something else. So I think it is. It is used by these people, this pandemic or whatever. I don't see any pandemic yet. I think the president gave a wonderful press conference yesterday about this. And uh, um, it's just, it's not much ado about nothing because we don't know whether it's nothing or not. But from another hand, I am, I am watching a lot of foreign news and foreign televisions and I can say that, that this is so exaggerated that, for example, the death toll even from this coronavirus is almost more or less the same as of the flu that we have every year. So it's not that, that 100% of people would die. The death, I mean, the mortality rate is below 1%. So it's not, and, and the same kind of things. I mean, Clean yourself. I mean, wash your hands. Have hand sanitizer. Uh, get vitamin C. Um, try to avoid hugging and, uh, and 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 handshakes. Right. I mean, this is a simple thing, which definitely should not lead the economy to fall apart. But because there are people who want the economy to fall apart, you remember maybe what his name is Meyer a comedian who was saying that we should ruin this economy to prevent re-election of Trump. Oh, Bill Maher, yeah. Why, yeah, that's right, yes. And, yes. and that's how they feel. I mean, they don't care about how many people would die of coronavirus or how it would be happening or whatnot. They just hate Mr. Trump more than anybody else. And, uh, and this is true communist hatred. If you will, if you will, uh, refer to, to to Stalin or Lenin or Trotsky. 
the hatred over there was overwhelming. And I see the same hatred at the democratic debate. Never let a good crisis go to waste. Uh, 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 you know, it's kind of their kind of their motto. Yeah, and they're using this one uh, and trying to take great advantage of it politically. Doctor Maltsev, I it's an honor, it's a privilege, it's a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for sharing your wisdom and your experience with us. Uh, we may be calling on you again if you are open to that because uh, this is very valuable information. Of course, of course, yes, I really enjoyed our conversation. And I hope to be on your program again. Thank you very much, Doctor. Doctor Yuri Maltsev joining us from uh, uh, Carthage College in Kenosha, Wisconsin. We're late to get out, so let's do that now and come back on AM 1420, The Answer. All right, 958. Thanks for being with us. Um, all I can say is um, Dr. Maltsev is, um, is about as brilliant as they come in terms of economics, and particularly given his history, he got his uh, undergraduate degrees, actually one undergraduate and then his master's level degree, at, uh, uh, in uh, Russia at uh, Moscow State University. And then he got his uh, Ph.D., um, also in Moscow, he knows the inner workings of socialist and and um, uh, communist models of economies inside out as a result of that education and, of course, his life experiences there, right? Now, and since 1989, he has lived in the capitalist free market society of the United States of America. Very few people have the perspective that Dr. Maltsev does on economies in both of the, the the two different opposite ends of the spectrum, free market capitalism and full-on communism or Marxism. And you just heard him talk about what it really truly means to be stuck in a communist society, where you literally, in a socialist society, where you literally are not free. The idea of ownership, you don't own yourself, the state owns you when they control your health. When they control how you live, they own you. You are a public slave. And you heard Dr. Maltsev also refute the fake news that is always thrown around by the likes of Bernie Sanders supporters that the Nordic countries are, are socialist. They are absolutely not socialist, and any aspects of socialism that they may have had adopted in the, into their economies have been removed because they saw the negative downturn, the results of them. Socialism cannot live with freedom. Freedom cannot live with socialism. There is no such thing as democratic socialism. That, as the good doctor pointed out, is an oxymoron. That makes Bernie Sanders the second half of that. Just the... The moron. Dr. Everett Piper joins us. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.